Section thirty nine of Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Piotr Nater. Celebrated Travels and Travelers, Volume two. Great Navigators of the Eighteenth Century by Jules Verne. Second part, Chapter two. African Explorers. C mango park left calicurro where he had obtained food by writing safis or talismans for the natives upon the twenty second of august and reached bamakoa where a large salt market is held from an eminence near the town he perceived a high mountain range in the kingdom of kong whose ruler had a more numerous army than the king of bambara once more robbed by brigands of all he possessed the unfortunate traveller found himself in the rainy season alone in a vast desert five leagues from the nearest european settlement and for the moment gave way to despair but his courage soon revived and reaching the town of sibidulu his horse and clothes which had been stolen from him by fula robbers were restored to him by the mansa or chief Kamalia or carfa taura advised him to await the cessation of the rainy season and then to proceed to gambia with a caravan of slaves worn out destitute attacked by fever which for five months kept him prostrate mango park had no choice but to remain in his place upon the nineteenth of april the caravan set out we can readily imagine the joy experienced by mango park when all was ready crossing the desert of jalonka and passing first the principal branch of the senegal river and then the faleme the caravan finally reached the shores of the gambia and on the twelfth of june seventeen ninety seven mango park once more arrived at pisania where he was warmly welcomed by professor laidley who had despaired of ever seeing him again the traveller returned to england upon the twenty second of september so great was the impatience with which an account of his discoveries certainly the most important in this part of africa was awaited that the african society allowed him to publish for his own profit an abridged account of his adventures he had collected more facts as to geography manners and customs of the country than all preceding travellers he had determined the position of the sources of the senegal and gambia and surveyed the course of the niger or joliba which he proved to run eastwards whilst the gambia flowed to the west thus a point which up to this time had been disputed by geographers was finally settled it was no longer possible to confound the three rivers as the french geographer de Lisle had done in seventeen o seven when he represented the niger as running eastwards from bornu and flowing into the river senegal on the west he himself however had admitted and corrected this error in the later maps of seventeen twenty two and seventeen twenty seven no doubt on account of the facts ascertained by andre brou governor of senegal houghton indeed had learned much from the natives of the course of the niger through the mandingo country and of the relative position of the sego jenne and timbuktu but it was reserved for mango park to fix positively from personal knowledge the position of the two first-named towns and to furnish circumstantial details of the country and the tribes who inhabit it public opinion was unanimous as to the importance of the great traveller's exploration and keenly appreciative of the courage skill and honesty exhibited by him 
a short time later the english government offered mungo park the conduct of an expedition to the interior of australia but he refused it in eighteen o four however the african society determined to complete the survey of the niger and proposed to mungo park the command of a new expedition for its exploration this time the great traveller did not refuse and upon the thirtieth of january eighteen o five he left england two months later he landed at goree he was accompanied by his brother-in-law anderson a surgeon by george scott a draughtsman and by thirty-five artillerymen he was authorized to enroll as many soldiers as he liked in his service and was provided with a credit of five hundred pounds these resources says Wachnier, so vast in comparison with those furnished by the african society were to our thinking partly the cause of his loss the rapacious demands of the african kings grew in proportion to the riches they supposed our traveller to possess and the effort to meet the enormous drain made upon him was in great part the cause of the catastrophe which brought the expedition to an end four carpenters one officer and thirty-five artillerymen and a mandingo merchant named isaac who was to act as guide with the leaders of the expedition already mentioned composed an imposing caravan mango park left cai upon the twenty seventh of april eighteen o five and reached pisania the next day from this place ten years earlier he had started upon his first exploration taking an easterly direction he followed his former route as far as bambaku upon the shores of the niger when he arrived at this place the number of europeans was already reduced to six soldiers and a carpenter the remainder had succumbed to fatigue or the fevers incidental to the inundations the exactions of the various petty chiefs through whose domain the expedition passed had considerably diminished the stock of merchandise mungo park was now guilty of an act of grave imprudence remarking that trade was very active at sansanding a town containing eleven thousand inhabitants and that beads indigo antimony rings bracelets and other articles not likely to be spoiled in the transit to england were freely exhibited for sale he opened says Wachnier, a large shop which he stocked with european merchandise for sale wholesale or retail and probably the large profits he made excited the envy of the merchants the natives of jenne the moors and the merchants of sansanding joined with those of sago in offering in the presence of modibinne to give the king of mansong a larger and more valuable quantity of merchandise than he had received from the english traveller if he would seize his baggage and then kill him or send him out of bambara but in spite of his knowledge of this fact mango park still kept his shop open and he received as the proceeds of one single day's business twenty five thousand seven hundred and fifty six pieces of money or cowries upon the twenty eighth of october anderson expired after four months illness and mango park found himself once more alone in the heart of africa the king of mansong had accorded him permission to build a boat which would enable him to explore the niger naming his craft the joliba he fixed upon the sixteenth of november for his departure here his journal ends with details on the riverside populations and on the geography of the countries he was the first to discover this journal when it reached europe was published imperfect as it was as soon as the sad fact was realized that the writer had perished in the waters of the joliba 
It contained in reality no new discovery, but it was recognized as useful to geographical science. Mango Park had determined the astronomical position of the more important towns, and thereby furnished material for a map of Senegambia. The perfecting of this map was entrusted to Arrowsmith, who stated in an advertisement that finding wide differences between the positions of the towns as shown in the journal by each day's travel and that furnished by the astronomical observations it was impossible to reconcile them but that in accordance with the latter he had been obliged to place the route followed by mango park in his first voyage further north it was reserved for the frenchman walknir to discover a curious discrepancy in mango park's journal this was a singular error upon the part of the traveller, which neither the English editor nor the French translator, whose work was badly performed, had discovered. Mango Park, in his diary, records events as happening upon the 31st of April. As everyone knows that that month has only thirty days, it followed that during the course of his journey the traveller had made a mistake of a whole day, reckoning in his calculations from the evening instead of the morning. Hence, important rectifications were necessary in Arrowsmith's map. But nonetheless, when once Mango Park's error is recognized, it is evident that to him we owe the first faithful map of Senegambia. Although the facts that reached the English government allowed no room for doubt as to the fate of the traveller, a rumour that white men had been seen in the interior of Africa induced the governor of Senegal to fit out an expedition. The command was entrusted to the negro merchant Isaac, Mango Park's guide, who had faithfully delivered the traveller's journal to the English authorities. We need not linger over the account of this expedition, but merely relate that which relates the last days of Mango Park. At San Sanding, Isaac encountered Amadi Fatuma, the native who was with Park on the Joliba when he perished, and from him he obtained the following recital. We embarked at San Sanding, and in two days reached Silla, the spot where Mango Park completed his first journey. After two days' navigation we reached Jene. In passing Dibi, three boats filled with negroes, armed with lances and arrows, but without firearms, approached us. We had passed successively Ragbara and Timbuktu, when we were pursued by these boats, which we repulsed with difficulty, and only after killing several natives. At Guruma we were attacked by seven boats, but succeeded in repulsing them. Constant skirmishes ensued, with heavy loss to the blacks, until we reached Kaffo, where we remained for a day. We then proceeded down the river as far as Karmus, and anchored off Gurnu. Next day we perceived a Moorish detachment who allowed us to pass. We then entered the country of Hausa. Next day we reached Yauri, and sent Amadi Fatuma into the town, with presents for the chief, and to purchase food. The negro, before accepting the presents, inquired if the white traveller intended to revisit his country. Mango Park, to whom the question was reported, replied that he should never return. It is supposed that these words brought about his death. The negro chief, once convinced that he should not see Mango Park again, determined to keep the presents intended for his king. Meantime, Amadi Fatuma reached the king's residence at some distance from the river. The prince, warned by the presence of the white men, sent an army next day to the small village of Bussa, on the river side. When the Joliba appeared, it was assailed by a shower of stones and arrows. 
park threw his baggage into the river and jumped in with his companions all perished thus miserably died the first englishman who had navigated the joliba and visited timbuktu many efforts were made in the same direction but almost all were destined to fail at the end of the eighteenth century two of Linnaeus's best pupils explored the south of africa in the interest of natural history sparman undertook the search for animals and thunberg for plants the account of sparman's expedition which as we have said was interrupted by his voyage in oceania after cook's expedition was the first to appear it was translated into french by latourneur in the preface which is still allowed to stand latourneur deplored the loss of the learned explorer who he said had died during a voyage to the gold coast just as the work was published sparman reappeared to the great astonishment of latourneur sparman had reached africa upon the thirtieth of april seventeen seventy two and landed at the cape of good hope at this time the town was only two miles across each way including the gardens and plantations adjoining it on one side the streets were wide planted with oaks and the houses were white or to sparman's surprise painted green his object in visiting the cape was to act as tutor to the children of m kerste but upon his arrival in cape town he found that his employer was absent at his winter residence in false bay when the spring came round sparman accompanied kerste to alpen a property which he possessed near constance the naturalist availed himself of the opportunity to make many excursions in the neighbourhood and attempt the somewhat dangerous ascent of the table mountain by these means he became acquainted with the manners and customs of the boors and their treatment of their slaves the violence of the latter was so great that the inhabitants of the town were obliged to sleep with locked doors and provided with firearms close at hand nearly all over the colony a rough hospitality ensured a certain welcome for the traveller sparman relates several curious experiences of his own i arrived one evening he says at the dwelling of a farmer named van der Spuy, a widower born in africa and father of the proprietor of the red constance or the old constance making believe not to see me approach he remained stationary in the entry of his house as i approached him he offered his hand still without attempting to come forward and said good day you're welcome how are you who are you a glass of wine perhaps or a pipe will you partake of something i answered his questions laconically and accepted his offers in the same style as they were offered his daughter a well-made girl of some fourteen or fifteen years of age brought in dinner which consisted of a fine breast of lamb stewed with carrots the meal over she offered me tea so pleasantly that i was quite puzzled whether to admire the dinner or my charming hostess the most both father and daughter showed the greatest kindness and goodwill i spoke to my host several times in hope of breaking his silence but his replies were brief and i observed that he only once commenced a conversation himself when he pressed me to remain overnight in his house i bid him farewell deeply impressed with his hospitality sparman undertook several similar expeditions among others one to hood bay and parle in which he had frequent occasion to notice the exaggerations to be met with in the narrative of kolbe his predecessor he intended to continue his explorations during the winter and projected a journey into the interior when the fine season should return 
when the frigates commanded by captain cook the resolution and adventure arrived at the cape forster invited the young swedish naturalist to accompany him and sparman was thus enabled to visit new zealand van diemen's land new holland otaheite tierra del fuego the antarctic regions and new georgia before his return to the cape where he landed on the twenty second of march seventeen seventy five his first care upon his return was to organize his expedition to the interior and in order to add to his available resources he practised medicine and surgery during the winter a cargo of corn medicine knives tinder-boxes and spirits for the preservation of specimens was collected and packed in an immense wagon drawn by five yoke of oxen sparman says the conductor of this cart needs dexterity not only in his management of the animals but in the use of the whip of african drivers these instruments are about fifteen feet long with a thong of the same or greater length and a tongue of white leather almost three feet long the driver holds this formidable instrument in both hands and from his seat in front of the wagon can reach the foremost oxen with it he distributes his cuts unceasingly well understanding how and where to distribute them in such a manner that the hide of the animals feels the whip sparman was to accompany the wagon on horseback and was accompanied by a young colonist named Immelman, who wished to penetrate into the interior for recreation they started upon the twenty fifth of july seventeen seventy five after passing rent river scaling the hottentot holland kloof and crossing the palmite they entered a desert country interspersed with plains mountains and valleys without water but frequented by antelopes of various kinds with zebras and ostriches sparman soon reached the warm mineral baths at the foot of the zwartberg which at that time were much frequented the company having built a house near the mountains at this point the explorer was joined by young immelman and together they started for zwellendam which they reached upon the second of september we will give a few of the facts they collected about the inhabitants the hottentots are as tall as europeans their hands and feet are small and their color a brownish yellow they have not the thick lips of the kaffirs and natives of mozambique their hair is black and woolly curly but not thick they rub the entire body with fat and soot a hottentot who paints himself looks less naked and more complete so to say than one who only wraps himself with grease hence the saying a hottentot without paint is like a shoe without blacking these natives usually wear a cloak called karos made of sheep's skin with the wool turned inwards the women arrange it with a long point which forms a sort of hood in which they place their children both men and women wear leather rings upon their arms and legs a custom which gave rise to the fable that this race rolled puddings round their limbs to feed on from time to time they also wear copper and iron rings but these ornaments are less common the kral or hottentot village is a collection of huts in a circle all very similar and of the shape of beehives the doors which are in the centre are so low that they can only be entered on the knees the hearth is in the middle of the hut and the roof has no hole for the escape of the smoke the hottentots must not be confounded with the bushmen the latter live only for hunting and robbery their skill in throwing poisoned arrows their courage and the wildness of their lives render them invincible at zwellendam 
sparman saw the quagga a species of horse like a zebra in shape but with shorter ears End of section 39